You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Another afternoon here with you and we got a jam-packed show. Not only do we have a pair of interviews with some pretty interesting fellas, there's uh, some news from the GM meetings just concluded this last week. So we'll get to a couple of different things here and there throughout the afternoon. Real quickly, though, don't want to forget to tell you, you can give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers redeemable for 66 great games in 2018, and they start at just $29. Each order is shipped with a decorative card and a White Sox nutcracker ornament. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs. I'll give that to you one more time. It's WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs for more information or to order yours today. Uh, you want to leave us a note about the show, feel free to do so. Twitter's the best way to do that. You can hit us up at C1McKnight. We are also taking suggestions there on Twitter for our next oral history show. We're going to do that a little bit, uh, probably late December, probably right around Christmas time. I've got an idea for one if you don't come up with a with a better one, I suppose. If, if White Sox fans out there don't have a, a better idea, which I bet you do, Maybe. I don't know. I have a pretty good one. Uh, but we're brewing it up and seeing exactly where we're going to go with our next oral history series. Uh, looking forward to that next one. Today, we're continuing two other series we're running during the off season. We'll break down third base. It's the review preview series. We'll go third base this time. A lot of Yolmer Sanchez conversation. Remember, we saved him for the hot corner since he played so well there this last season. Of course, we'll talk about some of the minor leaguers that could factor into the picture there at third two and we will also just after the 1230 news we'll have a chat with white Sox minor league reliever connor walsh we're continuing bringing you a couple of interviews i was able to do at the arizona fall league a few weeks ago uh, connor walsh is a really interesting guy you want to get inside the brain of a pitcher you want to know what it's like to have success, have failure, deal with both at the same time, you know, add pitches to your repertoire and really, you know, be at a stage where you're trying to mold everything together, push to make a roster on a team that's stacked with arms. Connor Walsh gives you a lot of inside stuff as to what it's like to be exactly in that position, a really engaging guy, a hard thrower too. We watched him throw and he threw a, a clean inning out of the bullpen for the Glendale Desert Dogs as well. So that's coming up just after the 12.30 news. As always, if you miss a show, you want to go back to listen to one, or you liked one of the interviews that we did, you can head over to the website, wlsam.com slash White Sox. All of our shows are podcast there, and you can download them. i, I got to thank you guys for as many downloads. We're, we're hitting a bunch over the last couple of weeks, and uh, there are some serious. We just saw that one of the one of the shows we did back in July just got a bunch of downloads because of a, a couple of interviews that they did. So yeah, if you're, you know, thinking okay, I'm I'm needing my White Sox 
Jones fulfilled here. Take a look back at, at some of those old shows and see if there's interviews on there that you want to listen to. You want to hear from guys like, you know, Carlos Rodon as he was coming back from injury. You want to hear with Michael Kopech, hear from Michael Kopech, rather, as he took his first tour of Guaranteed Rate Field. All that stuff's back there and downloadable for you. WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Before we get too far down the line, we've got a trade to talk about. Uh, we will talk to James Fegan of The Athletic, who was covering the GM meetings just uh, this past week. And it, just as everybody was leaving the GM meetings, the White Sox made a move with the Mariners. It's Tiago Vieira coming over for some international signing money. Vieira comes over from the Mariners, and he throws hard. We're talking about and to uh, a hard thrower this afternoon. Vieira, we're talking about, and Connor Walsh will talk to. Vieira, a reliever, hits the triple digits, big right-hander out of the Seattle Mariners organization, a Brazilian. So that's kind of fun, too. You don't see many Brazilians in this game, though the White Sox have had a Brazilian pitcher before. In Andre Rienzo, Thiago Vieira looking to make perhaps the 25-man roster this year. I, I think what's really interesting about the trade as the White Sox and Mariners agreed to it, is that the White Sox are sending some international signing money, something like a half million dollars, I think, over to the Mariners. Pretty clear that the Mariners are going to make a push for Shohei Otani out of Japan, the dual-threat pitcher or hitter. We'll see where he ends up. That'll be one of the more interesting storylines of the offseason. Uh, but since the White Sox reached their international cap in signing Luis Robert during the season... They're kind of pressed up against it. They might have a couple of dollars here or there, clearly do, that other teams might find more valuable. And they've chosen to take a run at a 24-year-old arm who throws incredibly hard. The White Sox could use some arms in that bullpen. As Rick Hahn stated toward the end of the season, They, uh, his words, shot a hole through the bullpen with all the trades that they made this last season. So makes a lot of sense to go ahead and add to that position there. That said, whether Vieira makes the 25-man roster or whether you know other prospects currently right now make the 25-man roster or not, that's going to be up to some of the roster decisions the White Sox are going to have to make. Every team gets to it. Decisions have to be made on the 40-man very soon. In fact, those decisions have to be made, I believe, November 20th. The 40-man roster has to be decided. So tomorrow, in fact, we'll find some news there. And with the White Sox, there are a couple of top 30 guys that need to be put on the 40-man roster or be subject to the Rule 5 draft. That's how the White Sox got Dylan Covey this last season, if you recall. I'll run down the list of top 30 guys from MLB Pipeline that need to be put on the 40-man roster or, like I said, exposed to the, to the uh, Rule 5 draft. Aloy Jimenez. Casey Gillespie, Mike Rodolfo, Luis Alexander Basabe, Jordan Guerrero, Ian Clarkin, Luis Martinez, and Jake Peter all need to be put on that 40-man or perhaps offered up to the draft. The White Sox have a couple of spaces to play with there, but it's at 35. I read more than five names, so some moves are going to have to be made. We'll talk with James Fegan of The Athletic about that 40-man roster crunch every team goes through. Perhaps some players uh, are going to find themselves removed from the 40-man roster to make space. Wouldn't be surprised at all. The youth movement as a team rebuilds can sometimes uh, push players off that, that might be on the fringe, like we saw a couple of guys over this last season 
with the White Sox be kind of right up to that fringe. Got to hit a break here in just a minute. But real quick, before we go, I want to tell you something very cool that the White Sox just had over the last week. Amateur City Elite Signing Day was just this past weekend. And the White Sox had 20 kids from their ACE programs sign letters of intent to go play college baseball. This was every year they do the, the double duty classic over at Guaranteed Rate Field. I was lucky enough to to broadcast it on Comcast this year and had an absolute blast doing it and watching the talent that was there. A lot of those kids have gone on to sign these scholarships, 20 in total. Corey Ray, who was drafted five overall by the Brewers in this last year's draft, is uh, an alumnus of the ACE program. And at the ceremony, uh, Todd Steverson, the White Sox hitting coach, spoke to the boys and told them about you know what it's like keep the course congratulated them on their work really cool to see the white sox tweeted out a link i'll i'll retweet it here uh, from my twitter handle too not that you you don't follow the white sox i'm sure that you do speaking of twitter too blake hickman who is a graduate of simeon high school and a graduate of the ace programs played his college ball at iowa and now throws for the canapolis intimidators he tweeted this in response to the the video the white sox put out about signing day he said like i said there's so much potential in the city of chicago the kids just need the opportunities like i did and the rest of the guys who have come through ace were still going strong Uh, i echo blake's sentiments it is a stellar program and congratulations to those 20 young men who are moving on to play college ball Sox fans it's never too early to lock in a 2018 ticket package full and partial ticket plans are available including a lower-level 10-game plan starting at $217. Take advantage of great benefits like discounted pricing and flexible payment plans. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. We'll check in on the GM meetings with James Fegan of The Athletic next. Keep it here. you got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. And since the GM meetings just wrapped up in Orlando, we figured we'd talk to somebody who was actually honest to goodness there. It's James Fegan of The Athletic. Hi, James. How you doing? Hi, Connor. How's it going? Wonderfully. I just got back from Orlando. I have the sweat stains in my dress shirts to prove it. Awesome. Yeah, humid, warm. And, uh, and was the stove hot enough for you with the GM meetings, or do you expect the hot stove to get hotter still as we get closer to the winter meeting? I would hope so. Um, at this point, all the GMs, both Han and Hoyer, are very adamant that it's too early to figure anything out. Mm. They're the markets and everybody. Uh, if they knew the market and how much demand there was for every player, they would not tell me personally, James. <laughs> so hopefully things are a bit more clear in a month. Right. But the White Sox have made a move with those Seattle Mariners. I suppose good place to start as any is with uh, something that's actually happened what do we know, and what can you tell us, and what did Rick Hahn say uh, about Thiago Vieira as best as you can recount it? Well, that deal got made uh, after That's true. the That's true. media availability, so Hahn has not put out any kind of comment on it. But, you know, Thiago Vieira is someone that you probably saw striking out Zach Collins if you watched the Futures game last mm-hmm. June with an under one mile an hour fastball. That's kind of a selling point. He can, he could, I think his average when he got called up was like 98.7. He can easily get 100, 101. There's reports of him hitting 104. He can throw the ball extremely hard, and when you're asked to be kind of a one-inning guy, having that as your first kind of big step towards major league competence is, is an important one. He still hasn't really shown much command of kind of a second pitch. 
or a slider or a curveball or a splitter or a changeup. And, you know, that's kind of going to be the big project of Don Cooper to kind of get that in order. He had control problems earlier um, in his career, but that's kind of calmed down a bit. You know, he's walking like, you know, 3.5 per nine innings. That's not terrible for a lady named reliever who's throwing 100 miles an hour. It's just kind of finding some kind of secondary pitch to get comfortable with. Uh, I know a lot of people see we go 104 and think like, well, it's future closer. I think, you know, you'd be really happy if you came like a nice seventh, eighth inning guy, but he's, He's 24, and we haven't really seen like him blow away hitters in large numbers yet. So it's kind of untapped potential. It's definitely a risk worth trying if you're the 2018 White Sox and you're still kind of a transitional phase, and you kind of traded away every reliever you had last season. Mm-hmm. Why not give the guy who can you know throw it at the oldest Chapman levels a try? So it figures to be a a good attempt. They used international bonus pool money to get him. This is something they've been doing. They already got Ryan Burr and uh, Jason uh, Yerizari for this, basically. When they sign Luis Robert, they put themselves in a hard cap for any international signings. They can't sign anybody who's over 300000 Uh So that's basically all your major international prospects. So they've been trading that money to get, you know, kind of prospects that are already in other teams' systems. And since the Mariners are trying to get Otani, they were happy to get, you know, a rough, as is important, roughly half a million in pool money to give up a guy who could be a bullpen piece. So, James, you touched on a lot there. Let's go on the uh, the whole Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez tack. And, and I guess Vieira kind of fits into this, too. Rick Hahn and the White Sox have a bit of a 40-man roster crunch. We're, we're going to talk about this some in the show this afternoon. But where do you get a sense of, of how things could shake out? For, for one part, Eloy Jimenez, if he's not added to the 40-man roster, will be exposed to the Rule 5 draft. For that reason, he's going to be on the 40-man roster. But does that mean that he... And other guys who might fit prospect status have a better chance of, of making this club in the first 25 that go north than than in other seasons? I really wouldn't see it as affecting that directly. I think the big fallout from that is you're going to see some guys who maybe struggled in their shot in 2017 or didn't make a whole lot of progress maybe get kicked off the 40-man roster ah. to make room for Eloy or Jake Peter or Jordan Guerrero or Brian Clark and stuff guys like that who could get their first real crack at the majors in 2018. Someone who maybe struggled like Jacob May or Chris Beck or people like that could, you know, be in a situation where ideally the White Sox would have them around, but maybe aren't uh, sweating, exposing them uh, to waivers or something like that, uh, at least this offseason. Does does that hold for Aloy Jimenez, considering he is in a class and a talent level all his own? Um. I would probably bet, I mean, Rick Hahn will be the first to say that, you know, service time is not everything. They're not going to, you know, handcuff and just, like, never promote anyone based on their Super 2 deadline or anything like that. But I would bet everything on him not breaking camp uh, with the Major League Club. Now, I mean, he really only has – he's absolutely annihilated every level he's played on. He's moving super fast, but he still has only played, like, 20-something games above a ball it would be pretty aggressive and unusual for them to promote him especially in a rebuilding season i think even if they were trying to trot out absolutely the best roster possible to start 2018 i think putting that all on alloy to produce when he gets called up would be a stretch so i still think even though he's great even though i'm like as high on anybody and i think he has 40 to 50 home run potential mm. i really doubt that he's up before june and i don't think his 40-man uh, status, especially because he's still so young and he's only adding the 40-man now, um, is really going to push that forward much. 
So you figure Jimenez goes to a, a double-A assignment, and we've kind of heard from Han before that Robert is, has got some kind of A assignment, whether that's high-A or low-A ball, we'll, we'll go ahead and see. Are, are there surprising are, are there any surprising assignments for prospects of that ilk that, that you could kind of see happening? Um, I think if L.A. just torches spring training and if he comes into, like, the January hitters camp, which he's been invited to and, and is astounding there, uh, you know, there's a – I don't think there's anything that prohibits them from sending him to AAA. Uh, I don't think he'll have any problem with AAA. He didn't really have any problem with AA. Um, I think Luis Robert probably can't force himself much beyond, um, you know, high A. Uh, you know, I, I think they want to start him at, at some kind of lower affiliate in general. Um, he'll probably torch high A to some obscene degree yeah. and humiliate a lot of 23, 24-year-olds. But beyond that, I don't, I don't see I don't see a straight jump to Double A. Um, I'm imagining Al Canson looked promising, but not you know completely perfect and fully dominant in Double A. So I think he goes back there. Um, other than that, I don't, I don't see any shockers. They kind of have to figure out the whole crunch with their outfields because um, they got uh, Miker and Blake Rutherford and Luis Gonzalez and Luis Robert. Uh, all kind of competing for space in the high A outfield, maybe Alex Call as well. So they kind of have to they kind of have to figure out what's going on there. They might have to aggressively push someone like uh, Luis Vasabe up to Double A, even though he struggled at high A. They might have to find some room for Joel Booker, maybe send him back to low A to you know get him regular bats. It, there's a little bit of a mess there, but that's only for your extreme prospect hipsters who are worried about the high A outfield. We, uh, we cater to the extreme prospect hipsters here on the show. I, I think we do a whole segment during the season on that. Let me ask you about the, the major league guys that might be added to this roster. Um, and I want to touch, if I can, just a little bit on Michael Kopech's potential innings limit, something you wrote about at The Athletic. Uh, you can go follow James on Twitter, by the way, at J.R. Fegan, F-E-G-A-N, and check out the articles there. We're going to make him give the whole thing away. But... When When is it, do you think, the bargain shopping for the White Sox? And I mean that in a good way because they want to pick up a bargain that is, you know, both fits on their payroll and can perhaps be moved for better pieces later on in the season. Is there a sense of when that happens or does, like in prior seasons, other free agencies, do a couple dominoes maybe have to fall before the White Sox can really figure out who their man is perhaps in that rotation? Uh Connor, you think I think he hit the nail on the head, as uh, as Han would say. He he definitely seemed like he was kind of hunting for value sure. and trying to see how the starter market was going to shake out, and that the White Sox had something more towards like they're not going to be hunting Jake Arrieta, uh, they're not going to be hunting you uh, um, Darvish. I mean, those are guys you kind of if you're signing them, you want to compete in 2018 because you know you don't really know how Jake Arrieta's command is going to hold oh, up. Wow. In his, uh, late 30s has his, you know, kind of elite, crazy Pilates fitness level declines slowly. You're, you're banking on immediate return from that, and that's not what the White Sox are looking for for any free agent is they're not looking to kind of compete in 2018. They're kind of looking for it to eat innings. Um, so he kind of made it clear like they're gonna, they're gonna, they might be in a position where they're waiting for things to shake out mm-hmm. and waiting to see if there's anyone whose market doesn't quite, you know, accelerate the way they're hoping and might be available for kind of a more value buy. Uh, maybe in January, as he specifically said, that it could be after the first of the year where you really see them settle their rotation. So no one really likes to see the words innings limit pop up, but they it's a, perhaps a necessary evil uh, in this day and age, especially with uh, the, the more we know about pitching. What did, what did Rick mean when he's talking to you about innings limits 
from Michael Kopech and what kind of speculation was he throwing on perhaps Kopech's season in 18? Well, you know, they, they throughout the year, they didn't say that there's any kind of innings limit on really anybody. And then the last start, they scratched Lucas Giolito and said, well, he's at 175. Right. And he's kind of accomplished everything we want. So that's kind of, uh, we're kind of comfortable just calling it here. And Ronaldo Lopez made his final start, but if he hadn't hit the DL and missed two starts, he probably would have been in a similar situation. I think he finished around 168, 169. And Han said, you know, he put out the, the statement of, you know, we kind of follow everyone individually. We determine whether they can handle, you know, it's not like one size fits all. That said, if you're looking at the minor league uh, system and trying to figure out what everyone's going to throw this year, kind of get use the general rule of thumb of, you know, 30 to 40 more innings than they did the previous season. Now, I think Kopech might have uh, blown that away a little bit in 2017 by hitting around 135, but I made it clear, kind of apply that rule to him, which give you a good expectation of him probably in the 170, 175 range. Um, I think Dunning and Hansen are also in that. We're, I think, around 140, 150, so I wouldn't expect them to, you know, go beyond 170. They are, especially Dunning, would be less likely to hit the majors this year, which is really the situation where you, the six-month season comes into play and you have to kind of enforce that innings limit. Right. But if that were to happen, I think you should look for basically 170, 175 for any new uh, starting pitcher who gets promoted this year. Makes sense to me. James, appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. You can read his stuff at J.R. Fegan on Twitter. He is writing for The Athletic and... All of this stuff is locatable there. Thanks a ton, man. Thanks for having me. That is James Fegan of The Athletic. White Sox Weekly continues right after the news. We'll be back on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We continue with a couple interviews from the Arizona Fall League. This one's, this one's one of my favorites. I really enjoyed talking with White Sox reliever Connor Walsh down in Arizona. Watched him pitch, too, the next day. He got Michael Chavis of the Boston Red Sox organization to fly out to right field. He got Alex Jackson of the Braves to pop up to center and then got Luis Urias of the Padres, who actually played really well in this Arizona Fall League. He got him to pop up to center field after falling behind 3-1. Connor had uh, two, three outings that kind of blew up on him. The rest... Zeros. He only gave up earned runs in four outings in 11 overall. One of them, one run, a couple of crooked numbers, a four and two threes. We saw Connor Walsh have a really good day. He's known as a hard thrower, but I think in this interview, he'll explain he's working on being a lot more than that. So here he is. A couple minutes to sit down here with White Sox reliever Connor Walsh in the Arizona Fall League. Connor, a little bit of time, double A, triple A this last season, and all the first lines that you read, you know, in the scouting reports for one Connor Walsh is hard throwing. And I know there's a lot more to you than just the hard thrower. Yeah, so my whole life I've been categorized as a hard thrower. Right. Um, And that's an adjustment that I have to make, believe it or not. Um, I'm definitely humbled by what people think. However, uh, you know, I've never been there, but you get up to the big leagues and, and you get on the mound and you throw, mm-hmm. then there's going to be a merry-go-round behind you. So you have to learn how to pitch. Um, and this year I've had a lot of good coaches, a lot of good staff members help me get there, and I'm very confident in my abilities right now. What's the first lesson you learn in how to pitch 101 versus 
just throwing. Yeah, uh, it's. I think it goes. Uh, it's universal in, in baseball itself, and that's just handling failure, accepting failure, learning from it, um, thinking rationally as opposed to emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's very human to suck and then get really down on yourself. Yeah. However, in a game like this, you suck one day, you got to make sure you get the job done for your team tomorrow. So just the ability to flush failure and learn from it has been uh, very instrumental in my success. Is, is that adjustment harder or easier coming from a starter's perspective and then transitioning into a bullpen role? Um, you know what? I, I think kind of like... Or how is it different? Maybe that's a better way to ask. How is it different? I think that failure is the same. It's just how the person conceives it. Okay. So as a starter, you go out, let's say, you know, you go five innings, your pitch counts high, a couple walks, a couple runs, there's room for improvement. Well, it's the same thing as a bullpen guy. Um, it, you know, you could go out and lose the game for the team. However, it's just the ability both ways to improve, learn, and think rationally about your stuff and, you know, how you compete. And uh, the ability to learn from it is, is really, it's the same. The White Sox organization is renowned for its ability to bring pitchers up through the minor leagues and into the majors and teach them a lot about pitching. Yeah. We talk with Don Cooper on the pregame show uh, every third day. It's a joy. How have you found working with Coop and the, the times that you've been able to work with them here and there? So I had a, a little taste of uh, his instruction in big league spring training this year, and it kind of goes without saying. I mean, the guy, the guy knows his stuff, and he's great, and everything he says, it's, it's like it, he says something, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and it gives you that little bit of uh, enthusiasm and confidence. So uh, with, my, um, with my short time with him, it's just been great knowing that, you know, you have, all, like, awesome coaches coming up through the organization. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, you're in great hands. I know a lot of White Sox fans want to know, too, especially since you're a pitcher, at what point does a White Sox pitcher get handed the magical cutter that everyone <laughs> seems to like? Have you been given this already? Is this like a – do you get it in a gift bag when you show up <laughs> to double A? Or um, I think it's – Do you have it now and you're not telling me? I don't no, I, I'm actually uh, – it's a work in progress okay. right now. I, I just hopped off the mound and threw it a couple times and uh, – yeah, you know, the cutter is such an effective pitch. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of an experiment with me to see how it works in with my other stuff and yeah. how I can maintain my other stuff with the cutter. But as of right now, I mean, I'm with, uh, you know, Coach Zaleski here, and uh, he's great, and he's helping me out a lot. And I know Coop brought it up to me when I was in spring training. He said, oh, really? You know, did, did Coop bring up a Coop cutter? Brought, yeah, oh, he yeah. did. And he said, you know, it'd be a really effective pitch if you learn it. So I started messing around with it uh, in the season a little bit. And, you know, right now, and it's definitely an off-season project for me, but um, I have full confidence in the fact that once I get that pitch, it's going to be a whole new ball game for me. How do you go about learning a pitch? You learn a pitch by trial and error and by having confidence. Um, I think there's, and this is a you know a testament to Chase Fry. That dude has confidence every single day he's on the mound. Yeah. And you know we talk about our minor league system having uh, such good talent, and there's so much competition out there. It's competition, but I, I learn from that as well. I soak up the fact that you know I've seen Jace Fry go out and fail, and then I've seen his next out and be unbelievable. And it's because he's able to flush his failures so much. So going back to learning a new pitch, it's all about just having confidence. It might suck. But throw it enough, and, you know, that, that crappy pitch might get a ground ball. And then that thought process snowballs into, well, maybe it's not that bad. And then that next pitch, you might get a swing and miss. And you go, oh, my God, this is a really good pitch. And it just builds like that. It still might be bad to scouts, but if it works with your stuff, to you, if you're able to brainwash yourself into thinking, wow, this is the best pitch in the world, 
then that's it, it, it is what you believe it is. So learn a new pitch is just believing in kind of in yourself. We talked with Jace a little bit on the on the show too, uh, just about being in Arizona and knowing you're throwing in an environment where maybe the ball doesn't take the break that you're asking it to take. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, especially in games like this where you're facing guys like Acuna who can punish you regardless of what you throw. Yeah. It, is that something you have to keep in mind, or you just flush that out because you're here and the heck with it? So, I would say absolutely not. You can't think about that. Uh-huh. Um, as a successful pitcher, you know, if you're pitching in the ninth and let's say you're in the World Series and the winning runs on the third and it's downpouring mm-hmm. wherever you are, you can't think, oh, well, I can't throw my my curveball here because I can't get a grip on the ball. I can't throw this pitch because of that. Uh, the more excuses you make, the, uh, the lesser you're focused on the actual task at hand, which is pitching. Yeah. So if you're out here in Arizona thinking, well, the air is this and I can't get this movement on my cutter, it, you know, you're already thinking negative thoughts, which is already a loss. So the, the ability to stay positive in, in an environment to where, yeah, you might not have your stuff, but, I mean, that's, that's the difference between a, a minor leaguer and a major leaguer. And Buddy Bell pointed this out to me earlier in the year when he saw me pitch. I went out and I had a really rough outing, but I threw up two zeros. And he said the difference between a minor leaguer who doesn't have his stuff and a major leaguer who doesn't have his stuff is the major leaguer is able to go out and get the job done. Where did you learn that first? Um, well, through trial and error, but Buddy Buddy pointed it out to me, and the coaches all reiterated all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, having the mentality of knowing that you know, failure is part of it that you have to push through. That doesn't get taught necessarily at the minor league level. Like somebody in little league or somebody at college taught you. Okay, how to do I see that. what you're or, saying. Or, or taught you that you better. This is what you better do. Well, my dad's been very great in my career with keeping a positive attitude. Okay. Um, I failed a ton being a hard thrower. <laughs> yeah. You know, I failed a ton. Yeah. Um, however, I wouldn't be in the Arizona Fall League with a great organization like the White Sox unless I failed, because I need to learn from that. So. Um, I would say, you know, just growing up through the, through everything, it's just been my dad that's been, you know, you had a rough one today, but you got two legs, you got a beating heart, you're going to be okay. You're going to wake up tomorrow and get a knock at it again. What was it like waking up on the day that you, or the day after the, the White Sox told you you were going to the Fall League? I mean, was this something that you had pushed for during the season and this happened for you? or So the only thing I push for in the season is my next pitch. I don't think about the future. I, I'm human. I do think about it. I try not to. However, the only thing I control is my next pitch. So uh, the day after I was told, I was ecstatic because, I mean, our organization's stacked. You know, yeah. like, I, I, I like to consider them my friends. They're also my competition. But I got, I got a lot of competition in this organization, and that's great because that means the Chicago White Sox are going to bring a World Series to that city at some point. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just been really awesome representing the White Sox in an environment like this. Last one before I send you out to the bullpen. Yeah. What is the next step for Connor Walsh to rise above? I mean, you mentioned it. There's some legit competition in the White Sox organization. If you had to boil it down to uh, the two, three things that's going to make you stand out, what are those things as you sit here right now? (laughs) My next pitch. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. My next pitch is uh, all I'm focusing on right now, and the pitch after that I'll get to after I throw my next one. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Don't go changing, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks Thank again. We we'll see you in spring. Yep. That's White Sox minor league reliever Connor Walsh, who was a blast to talk to, and he pitched pretty well when we were down in Arizona, too. There is no better way to watch a White Sox game than in premium seating. The Chicago White Sox offer all inclusive club areas, private suites, and the best locations and accommodations. We have the perfect option for two people or the whole office. For more information, 
Call 312-674-6330 or visit WhiteSox.com. More White Sox Weekly on the other side of a quick break. I'm Connor McKnight, and you've got WLS AM 890. Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly, you've got WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. I'm not going to let you go, though, before we finish up our uh, you know, our, our off-season-long series, the review and preview series of your Chicago White Sox position by position. We're at third base, so we'll get started in just a few. You can give, though, the perfect gift for the biggest Sox fan in your life during the fan experience sale. Experiences include on-field access during batting practice. You can change the bases and more. All experiences include game tickets and VIP perks. For more information, call 312-674-5396 or email SoxExperience at WhiteSox.MLB.com today. So we are at third base, which means we've got a couple of different players to deal with here. Let's talk a bit uh, about Todd Frazier, who started the year as the White Sox starting third baseman. I think writing on the wall for the White Sox organizationally, I I think you knew Jose Quintana was going to go and you knew, you know, other pieces that were going to avail themselves would likely be traded for future players, for future assets for long-term, you know, window-propping kind of guys. For Todd Frazier, though, I don't know if I could say the same thing about Todd. Playing in the last year of his deal, coming off kind of a kind of a different sort of season in 2016, a lot of home runs, a lot of strikeouts, a very low batting average. But Frazier certainly played some decent defense and overall shows you that he's got some value there at third base still. In the last year of his contract, I just... It wasn't sure where the matchups were, where, trade-wise, I mean. As as Frazier continued to hit for power and did hit for a little bit better average than last season for sure, but still the strikeouts were an issue, you started to wonder, okay, what what do you get for Todd Frazier and where do you find the match? Well, the White Sox were able to package up Tommy Canely, David Robertson, and Todd Frazier, move them over to the Yankees for a couple of pieces, namely Blake Rutherford, top guy in that deal, and strike their iron there. So after Todd Frazier was traded, Matt Davidson got a lot of time at third base, though we dealt with Matt primarily in the first base section of the review preview series. And that was mostly that was mostly so we could cheat and make third base, make today's episode, or I guess series, part of the series, a little bit more about Yolmer Sanchez, who in his age 25 season, I thought really stepped up. In the way that a lot of White Sox fans thought that he might in total almost 400 innings at third base for Yolmer Sanchez this year 393 and a third innings Todd Frazier played 568 Matt Davidson played 289 innings at third Tyler Saladino played 168 and a third but for Yolmer I thought it was really interesting to watch him go through a full season we saw him come on late last year hit for a little pop and provide some defense for the White Sox I think Yolmer this season, and especially in spring training, if you listen to Ricky Renteria talk a bit about Yolmer, he really liked what Yolmer had to offer defensively. Sure, we saw some of that at second base. We saw a lot at third, and I think the arm played at third base much better than I thought it would. His hands are quick. His reactions are quick. I think that all helps. He does have a pretty strong throwing arm, and he was fairly accurate over there, too. Uh, Only three errors at third base in those nearly 400 innings played. 
And uh, I thought the range was pretty decent as well for Yolmer Sanchez. I think it's a pretty fair bet that Yolmer Sanchez is your opening day third baseman. So let me tell you a little bit about the 2017 he had that puts him in that position in 2018. May through June, pretty decent stuff. I'm, I'm taking April out of it because playing time was so much different for Yolmer at that point until things started settling some. Playing time started to realize and, and kind of settle in. Tyler Saladino had kind of been bounced out of the second base spot. So let's just go from May until June. 54 games, a 288 batting average, 353 on base, 397 slugging. The K percentage, 23%. In total, 42 strikeouts and 17 walks. That is manageable. And a guy who's giving you some quality at-bats, a little bit of pop, not a whole lot from May to June, albeit we get to that pop a little bit later. But that's a guy who's you know keeping his head above water, holding his own. July, we saw the struggles for Yolmer. 206 in the batting average, 260 on base, 368 slugging percentage, and the strikeout rate as you can kind of expect, rockets up to 27%. In August, things settled down strikeout-wise, 21%. Numbers come back a little bit, 258 average, 295 on base, 371 slugging, three home runs in the month of August, 20 strikeouts against six walks. September is where Yoma really puts things back together, a really strong finish. Yolmer, like Tim Anderson, had a really good finish to the September of 2017, 292 batting average, 343 on base, 510 slugging. K rate comes back down to 25%. And in total, you saw Yolmer Sanchez put up a league average offensive season. And if that's what you're able to do in your, you know, age 25 year, when you've not seen a whole lot of at bats at the major league level prior to this, given the way the White Sox roster had been constructed, you start to go, okay, that might be a might be a real, legitimate major league ball player there. Against lefties, not so great for Yomer in 2017. A 248 average, 283 on base, 376 slug. Right-handers is really where Yomer makes his mark. 272 average, 330 on base, 425 slugging percentage. And the K rates kind of bear that out to 27% against left-handers. 22% against right-handers. Still, though, I think with the versatility Yolmer showed, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him sprinkled around the diamond some this season. Uh, Matt Davidson has got to find at bats, I think, too. And if he hits lefties and Yolmer hits righties, well, then you've got a little bit of a platoon spot there. You know, for Yolmer Sanchez this year, a really solid season that I think could portend to uh, a major league regular. Elsewhere in the minor leagues, the White Sox drafted what they hope is their third baseman of the future in Jake Berger out of Missouri State. A stellar player there, a guy who hit for a lot of power and always walked more than he struck out. He played through two levels this year, technically. He played four games in rookie ball and then in Kannapolis, 47 games in total. He came on like gangbusters, struggled a bit in the middle of those 47 games and Kind of got things back to a steady clip in the last two weeks, two and a half weeks or so. A 271 batting average, 335 on base, and a 409 slugging for Jake Berger at Kannapolis this year in A ball. Uh, in total, five home runs, four at Kannapolis. And I think what you need to know about Berger is while he's a bigger dude, 6'2, 210. He has reportedly spent this whole offseason working really hard on, on getting the body to a, a defensive maximum, right? Making sure that 
he's able to stick at third from a defensive standpoint. Uh, this next season will tell a lot uh, about Jake Berger. I'm interested to see what his assignment will be. I I would guess high A, Winston-Salem, but that's just a guess on my part and probably a little optimistic, too. So that's third base, but we won't let you go completely until we get you a couple of highlights from Yolmer Sanchez. You know the drill. Here's Ed Farmer. One ball, two strikes. Frazier creeps to that lead in the one-two. A swing and a high fly ball, deep right field. It's going to go to the bridge and right. A two-run homer. Sox lead here in the eighth, six to five, on Yomo Sanchez's fourth home run of the season. Hello. Three-two pitch. Swing and a shot up the middle. Diving Sanchez. And the outfield throws him out. Hang a star on it. Hang a star on the play by the second baseman. That pitch is swinging a high fly ball right center. This is crushed. Track to the wall. It's a three-run homer. Light up that scoreboard. Sox now lead 5-1. to one. Gilmer swings. High fly ball to right. They're going to go back to back. Oh, yeah, to the bleachers and right. Turn on the fireworks if there's any left. 2 nothing Sox. And I have from the set that the pitch is swinging a roller to short. Anderson gloves. Throws. Got him. Sox win. Sox win with three runs of the eighth. And the last run scored from first base on a single to left. Oh, brother. That does it for us on White Sox Weekly. But real quick before we go and give you our last little message here, uh, just a shout-out to Dan Hayes. Dan is no longer writing for CSN Chicago. Couldn't say enough about what he did for me on the White Sox beat and doing the pre- and post-game show and here on White Sox Weekly. So our hat's off to Dan Hayes. I'm sure he'll catch on with another club very, very soon. He is a talented writer, uh, and you can, you should follow him for baseball news everywhere on Twitter. White Sox fans, sign up for SoxFest 2018 right now to receive a Hawk Harrelson talking bobblehead. The exclusive giveaway item is only available through SoxFest hotel packages. Join us January 26th through January 28th for a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages available now at whitesox.com slash SoxFest. That's it for us. We'll catch you next Sunday. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 89. You've been listening to White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Listen every week for White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890, the proud home for White Sox baseball.